had a slight derailment this morning. Uh, we, I got all the way here and realized I didn't bring my phone, which, and I know Dar wasn't here yet. So, but we made, we made do. I was able to download the app and, and I re- for once remembered my password and was able to, was able to log in. So we're good, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was not good, but it turned out okay. So we're going to continue the discussion, enough of that, on biblical stewardship. Today, the, the, the emphasis and focus is going to be on the individual because there is, there is an individual level of responsibility. We've done a really good job, I think, looking at it from a corporate standpoint or a church standpoint. I, I would even dare say that maybe, maybe we went a little heavy on the corporate side of things. Not on purpose, but I think it's been done in such a way that the emphasis is on the body, the emphasis is on the body. But we forget sometimes that the body or the church is made up of individuals. And that's the emphasis that I'm taking. So we will talk about the corporate or the the church responsibility of stewardship next week. Today is on the individual. Because what can happen is we can hide in a group, can we not? Uh, we can resort back to, you know, our own our old ways for a long time and for a period of time because it's easy to be able to do. But I'm excited to discuss it and share with what the Lord has placed on my heart. And for this second part of this series, we're going to we're going to talk about the importance of the individual's responsible responsibility of stewardship. We're going to take a look at some scriptural examples that I feel for, that I feel Provide the best applicable examples. Last week we talked about the creation of man and woman. The scripture is very clear that which man and woman are divinely created in the image of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So it's a triune being, right? He is a triune being. That mankind was created with a purpose and with responsibility. Now, all of that is, is very clear and very present within the scriptures that we read last week. He did not create mankind to merely exist. And so that's important for us to remember. We're created divinely by a sovereign God to fulfill his desired purpose. The most basic of principles, he created them male and female, and they're intended to be joined together. To multiply and rule over his creation. Intended to operate as a family unit. Today's examples falls on the individual understanding your role and the circumstances to perform, be successful, and stand tall at, I'll say this, at the accounting. Which will be between you and God. And that works for me as well. It will be between me and God. A steward to master relationship. Or a manager to master relationship. We all agree and the scripture is very clear that we will all all come before the judgment seat of Christ. Correct? 
Every knee will bow. That will be done on an individual basis, will it not? Yes? So isn't it a good idea for us to cover the importance and the responsibility of the individual to make sure that we stand tall or that we are in the right place when we have to give our accounting to the Lord? That is not to take away from the overall or the collective responsibility. That's another subject for next Sunday. The scripture that we're going to start with is in Matthew chapter 25, which is, <clears throat> I think, one of the best parables, if you will, that covers the subject very, very well. And it's the parable of the talents. We're going to start in verse 14. He says, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. So the first point that I want you to take away from is do the best you can with what you have. OK, that's point number one, talking about individual stewardship, right? The responsibility that is on the individual. Do the best that you can with what you have. That is a biblical principle that we're going to read about and that we're going to be looking at here in the next few minutes. Verse 15, to the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and, and with his master's money and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, what you have is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow. And gather where, uh, gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put the money in the bank, and on my arrival I would receive my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have, shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. <clears throat> and I'll pause there just for a moment. We're going to camp out here for a few minutes because there's some things that are, that are covered in here that are, that are absolutely vitally important for us as Christians to understand what is taking place here. The first point, verse 14, if you go back over there, 
This is important in understanding the relationship. For just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them, there is a master and there is a slave or a servant. Does that make sense? It's absolutely, you say, well, what do you mean? Why do I say that? Why do I need to be reminded that I have a master? Because if I don't remind myself, I become my own master. My flesh becomes my own master. There's even some of us out there that we don't even like the idea that somebody is our boss and that somebody is in charge of us. You go, well, how'd you end up here? <laughs> our nation is born upon rebellion, is it not? It, that's why I don't like the British accent to this day. I'm just saying. <laughs> There's a little rub there that you're like, oh, man, I don't know. You know, I don't find a lot of humor in the British jokes and the things like that. Why? Because ingrained inside of all of us, there's an element of that, of rebellion. You take it even further back than that. It's really the basic principle of our flesh. Is it not? We don't like being told what to do. Our flesh is in opposition to God. So it's really not the problem with the British. It's the problem with my flesh. You understand? I use a, a silly way of describing it for that purpose. It's my flesh. It's your flesh. And it's important for us to be reminded that we are slaves entrusted with the master's possessions. Man, I have heard a lot of preachers go to seed on what this might mean. Just do me a favor. Let the scripture say what the scripture says. Let the example be the example. Don't interject some other kind of thing in here that, that you think philosophically fits. We do that all the time as preachers. It doesn't need to be done. Let it say what it says. You've been entrusted with possessions. They're his. Do what's right with them. Your finances, your home, your job, and we'll get into those other things that you look at and you go, what? Yeah, your life. In verse 15, the second point of this, this passage, there are levels of responsibility. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. Not everyone has the same ability and praise God for that. It's also not fair for the master to have entrusted. And he did not do this, by the way. What is absent from this is he did not entrust his slave or his servant with more than he could handle. That is important to understand. There are varying degrees of responsibility and accountability. Somewhere along the lines, we've, we've developed this with, the, with the, the body aspect. You say everybody's an equal part. And you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Everybody has a part. Not every part is equal. Their parts are different. There's, there's a big difference. 
Socialism somewhere creeped in here. We, we like to pull democracy into all these different things. And you go, well, what do you mean? Look, my responsibility and my accountability is different than yours. All the positions that are called out within the body, and we'll get to that next week, like I said, all those positions are held to a different set of standards. Why? A different level of responsibility. Take it down to the home level. The father is held more accountable for the home, is he not? Well, no, it's the same. No, it ain't the same. Anybody that tells you it's the same does not read the same book that you and I read. You're listening to society and culture. Because society and culture would have you to believe that. Society and culture nowadays would have you to believe that it's not important to be male or female. Or husband and wife. That's what society teaches us. Society also teaches us that we're all, you know, that, that you look at this, the, it's crept in, I'll say, and into the church. You go, wait, hold on a second. The basic principle that there are different levels of accountability is can't be a very foreign concept to some Christians. Well, what do you mean? Well, sometimes we get, you know, you've heard me use the term comparison as the thief of joy, right? Go, why don't I get that? Or why can't I have this? Or why does that brother get that? Or why does that sister get that? Because you're looking at it improperly. What have you been entrusted with? So it's according to ability. And we just got, wow. We got to realize that, that our ability just because we're a two and not a five does not make us any less valuable or a one. The master says nothing of the sort. He just went according to their ability and says, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. There's varying degrees on the scale. That's not it is not a direct representation of importance. Each one gave an accounting and each one had a responsibility. Did they not? He didn't say because you're you're on only a one and your responsibility level is only a one here that then then you're not you're not as accountable as the guy that's got five or the gal that's got five. No, 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 no. None of that's covered. Don't interject that. It's not covered. You're a one. There was an expectation of a return. Just like there was an expectation of a return from the other servants as well. Verses 19 through 27, which we've already read, and I won't, I won't read all of them again, but you can look at this and you go, oh my gosh, that's, there's a lot that's, that's going on. And so the, the, the one that had the, the five talents immediately went away, right? And he went and invested them, and, you know, and next thing you know, he's got five more. He did good. He proved there's something that's important there. He proved that the master had wisdom over his decision, did he not? Did he not? Is that not verification that the master knew what he was doing? He gave it to him. He turns back and gives him five more. Confirmation of his decision is number two. He gives him two. Boom. Two more. Here you go. 
Oh, okay. Turns out he knew his servant quite well, didn't he? And for the one that he gave one, you must look at it from this perspective. Is one a greater risk as five or a lesser risk? It's a lesser risk, isn't it? So there was wisdom in him selecting one talent to give him at the end of the day. Do not misunderstand that progression, the, how that went. There's a lot that is said in that statement, in this parable, in those examples given to you. He is no fool with his money or his possessions. He is not an idiot. He gave the guy with one, he gave him one. And if he did not return the one, his risk was very low of loss. And in turn, or his return, I should say, was not what he wanted or not what he expected. Well, that is, again, confirmation that the master has wisdom in his distribution. And we must also remember that they're his possessions, not theirs. Something important on that last point. So this is the, the point that we're talking about in, in Matthew chapter 25. Is it. Do the best you can with what you have, right? The individual level of responsibility of stewardship. Failure. And we'll read here. Let's see. Let me read this verse just so you says, but when the master verse 26, but when but his master answered and said, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put the money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give to the one who has 10 talents. Something very, very important happens here. You go, well, you know, the wicked and lazy slave gets kicked out. Yes, you're right. But what was entrusted with that wicked, lazy slave, that one talent was given to the guy that has 10. It was given to the person that demonstrated the responsibility, the appropriate amount of responsibility and accountability. That talent was not just wasted. That talent was not just lost. That talent was given to somebody that has proven that they can handle what God has entrusted them with. That is stewardship. Why would God take these responsibilities from me? Why, why do I not have the influence? Why, do, why, do I not be, why am I not doing these things? Because you have not demonstrated that he can trust you with the things that he needs to trust you with. Oh. So is that in our control? A hundred percent. Because it doesn't matter if you're a five talent person or a two talent person or a one talent person. You put in the work. You take serious that your master has entrusted you with something. He's entrusted you with this life. He's entrusted you with his possessions. Your home, his possession. Your children, his possession. Your wife, his possession. Your husband, his possession. Your car, his possessions. The scriptures already told us that a cattle on a thousand hills is his. He doesn't need your money. Oh, and by the way, it's his money. 
See, we take that perspective and go, well, hey, you know, it's my money. I want to, you know, I, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be, whoa, hold on a second. You don't understand if you've, if you've chosen to serve Christ and if you have committed yourself to him and you follow through in baptism, you join, you're trying to serve God. You're trying to do all these different things. When you do that, when, when, when the old man dies and the new man is raised to walk in the newness of life, he becomes your master. The idea that your possessions are yours and that your life is yours and that your children are yours is an absolute illusion. They're his. And really, when you truly understand how this all shakes out in the end, mankind is his creation, is it not? Are we not? We are. That's why at the end of all this, every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the physical representation of God. It doesn't matter if you serve God or don't serve God. Well, I don't want to say it doesn't matter. It does matter. But my point is we will all come before him. Why? Because mankind is his creation. There is an accounting for mankind. All mankind. Now, if you serve him, if you commit your life to him, that accounting goes well, doesn't it? You're on the right side of that accounting. You reside in a position where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You come in. You're good. The second point for today is our relationship with the master starts and finishes between us and him. It starts and finishes between us and him. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. It's funny because this this scripture was was being bounced around. Uh, I think Jeff Shepard is the one that he's got a kind of like Chad does. Uh, does the weekly or. I don't know, how many times a week do you do it? Three to five times a week or something like that, right? Somewhere in there. Jeff's about the same. Maybe sometimes he hits every day. Sometimes he's three to five times a week, which is really a blessing, by the way, because it's a good interjection during the day to get scripture and just, just think about it, right? In Matthew chapter 20, in verse, verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, the, the example, one thing that's key, is this a kingdom subject? The indication is in the first verse, is it not? The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. So not, not only is this, you know, a good idea to discuss it, it has kingdom impl implications. It's important. It's the most important. Says he went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers, did I tell you verse one is where we're starting? Okay, good. Sometimes I get ramped up and I get going too fast. In verse two, when he agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them out into his vineyard. He went out in about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, "You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I'll give you." And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. And did the same thing. 
And at about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. <clears throat> when evening came, the, landowner, or the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, The last men worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, and who have borne the burden of the scorching heat of the day. <clears throat> but he answered and said to them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give the last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. It is not uncommon to read in the, in the parables and the examples that are given to us. That when you read these kinds of things that, that the Lord likes to flip the script on us. He likes to take that human logic, right, and go, I would expect this to take place. Boom, and he doesn't. And he does the exact opposite. Why? Because we have carnal minds. Verse 2 of that chapter, right, what we were just reading, it says a denarius was a day's wage. And it was set at the beginning. So this is the point with all these things. It was set at the beginning. One of the things that is important to understand, it is absolutely fundamental when we talk about stewardship, when we talk about, about being good managers of the things that God has entrusted us with, is that the master determines what he is willing to pay. The master sets the wage. Not you. Not me. Why is that important? It comes up later in the chapter. I should get this or it should be this for me. Whoa, hold on a second. That's between you and the Lord. And what did you and the Lord agree to? What has the Lord told you in the word of God? We must understand that the master determines what he is willing to pay and compensate. Verses 3 through 7. Other workers were recruited. The master needed more labor to complete the task. This is not, uh, I don't, for, for those of us that have, you know, you've run work or you've been in places of employment and things like that, you know, you've run jobs or been on jobs and things like that, or even, and it doesn't matter really what the job is. Could be clerical, could be construction, could be virtually anything that you've, decided to gather a group of people together to accomplish tasks really it doesn't matter what it is there's some certain defined outputs that you have to establish one what's the goal right you got to figure out what the goal is you break it down into bite-sized pieces you quantify that goal and then you identify the amount of labor and the type of labor that you're going to need to complete it that's like supervisor project management 101. Take that, set that aside. 
But when you see this here, that's literally what he's doing. He's looking at the vineyard. He's looking at what's going on and he's saying, look, I need more workers. So he goes out in the um, he goes out in the third hour. He goes out in the sixth hour and he goes out in the eleventh hour. Why? Because the master and his foreman, they need more workers. The defined output for the day needed more bodies to accomplish the task. That's important. In verse 8, I wonder if, if this wasn't done on purpose. I kind of think it was. He decided to pay the last first. <clears throat> I'm kind of thinking that was done on purpose based on the way things are going. You know that there isn't a single one of us sitting out here that wouldn't have a hard time with that. If you're honest with your flesh and honest with yourself, they, you'd be like, wait, hold on a second. Why are you paying them first? I've been here all day, especially the guys that were hired or the gals, the people that were hired the first thing in the morning. He decided to pay that last group first. In verses 10 through 12, when those hired first came and they thought they would receive more, but each one also received a denarius. Uh-oh. Here comes what I like to term righteous indignation. The absurdity of the master to not pay me more. Because I've been here all day long. I deserve more. The thing that I wrote here is we worked our butts off. Why do they get paid the same? Right? For some of you, I might have cleaned that up. Here comes the righteous indignation. Woo, that righteous indignation gets us in trouble sometimes, doesn't it? Especially when we lose sight of who our master is and what we agreed to. There's a common thing in, in the place of employment. I always, I always tell guys that, that in my secular job, when, when you get a raise or I start you at a certain amount, and it's been this way for almost 20 years I've, you, you have to have this discussion you have to and invariably somebody fails it almost every year you tell them you never tell anybody else what you make it is nobody else's business nobody else's business generally it works out okay but I mean more often than not it doesn't go well. Why? Because as soon as that guy that who values and sees his contribution as more than that guy or that gal, as soon as he finds out you make, it could be a nickel, folks. As soon as they find out you make a nickel more than them, it is, there is, there is no way of talking certain people off of that ledge. They are absolutely, now the day before, when they were making whatever they were making, what I was making, with, you know, they were making, they were as cool as a cucumber, had no problems whatsoever. But as soon as they find out that they get paid less than the person that they feel that they do a better job than, they are the worst employee you could ever meet. Because it's righteous indignation. Why? I'm being done wrong. I've shared with you guys before. 
that when somebody found that out, I decided to pay a guy a nickel more an hour. I wanted to run my own test. I said, you know what? I, I, all I could afford was a nickel more an hour for you. You know what he said? Thanks. I appreciate that. He was happy as a pig in slop, got up and walked away. A nickel. Do you know what a nickel amounts to in a year? It's like 30 bucks or something. Like, I don't know. It's not much. You work 20, uh, 2,080 hours in a year, right? So do a nickel times 0.05. It's, it's not much money. But he was fine. Because that indignation came in right where you're like, oh, I'm just absolutely incensed. But the nickel is... It was the principle. It was all that. So that's the kind of rage or that's the kind of scenario that we can find ourselves in. The envy that, that can creep in in our lives. And you go, well, what is that? OK, translation for us. We compare our lives to other Christians lives. We compare the blessings that brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so has. And we look at why do they get blessed with this and why do they get that? But I'm over here doing way more than them. I live a better life than them. I'm smarter than them. I got better friends than them. I'm capable, more capable than them. And you start doing all these different kinds of things. You start comparing and you start looking at all that. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Time out. He didn't put us down here to compare ourselves to one another. The agreement that we engaged in, that we, we that this this life that we chose, we chose Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen. He is our master. He gives and takes away in our lives as he sees fit. We cannot forget that. When we start comparing to other people, when we start looking at what the other servant is making or is getting or is doing, we are looking at it from a fleshly perspective. From a perspective that is it's carnal, it's natural, it's normal, but it doesn't make it right. But it makes it a reality, does it not? It absolutely does. He tells him in verse 13, he said, I did you no wrong. You were paid what you were owed. This is my translation. You were paid what you were owed. We agreed to a denarius. You were paid what you were owed. And we agreed upon this. The master sets the wage because he's got the money, the land, and the opportunity. Oh, wait a second. He's got the rewards. He's got the land. And he's got the opportunity. It ain't the other way around. He holds, our master holds all the cards in this relationship. He is a sovereign God. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. The, the better we get at not comparing ourselves to the other masters or to the other servants, the more blessed lives we live. Why? Because we understand the relationship. We understand that we have a vertical relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. This is our horizontal relationship with one another. We can't let that get interrupted by the things that we think we deserve. If you have a complaint with what you've been given, that complaint does not go to the people that you sit in here with. That complaint goes to the master. Does that make sense? That complaint goes upward. 
Why? Because they're a servant just like you. If you're looking at them and say, ah, they can't do that or this or that, uh, have you taken it to the Father yet? And this life that we live, this home, the, our, in our homes, right? In, 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 the, in, our, in our families' lives, you think about it, what do you mean? Go here first. Go here first. Because the master is who's entrusted you with your family. Like, man, my family's a little messed up or I'm not leading them like I'm supposed to. I'm, there's some things I'm not doing. You go to him first. Lord, help me fix this. I know you've entrusted me with this. That's a basic principle, but it gets missed so often in our lives because we spend a lot of time down here trying to figure out and trying to muddle through things. And we simply haven't invited the Lord into our situation. We haven't even gone to the master who is the one that entrusted us with it. We look at these things, these parables, they're definitive. They're very black and white. They're at the end. But what about this? Think about this from this concept that, that we serve God in a dynamic fashion. Do we not? Day in and day out. The Lord blesses us with tomorrow. He blesses us with next week. He blesses us with today. Think about it. When you look at these parables are given to us. And like I said, it's very black and white. It's definitive. It's at the end that there's an accounting. What about if we as Christians took the opportunity to in process during our lives, during the during the challenges and during the struggle, during during our labor to stop, to pop our head up and ask the master a question. Am I doing this right? Is this what you would have me to do? Be a little more dynamic in our approach. Because we have that opportunity to be able to do that. The successful servant is the one that goes, you know what? I'm, let me check with the Lord here. Is this how you want it done? Okay. And then you keep, keep going down the direction that you need to go. But you check in with the father. If you need help with that, we'll get to it next week. But that's one of the reasons for leadership in the church. It, it helps with that. But the most basic principle from a pastor to you perspective is, is your connection to the Lord intact? Well, of course it is. That's not that. Be careful how you answer that. Have you talked to the Lord about these things? Because, you know, as a pastor, that's where you start. And it's easy to let life get away from us sometimes. The master sets the wage because he's got the money, the land, and the opportunity. Woo! That helps us with the perspective of stewardship. The third point for this morning, and I, I won't go much longer, can be found in the book of Jude. Because I think it's very, very, very important. The question is, who is our master? For the third point. In Jude chapter, or chapter 1 verse 4 it says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed... Who, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. The emphasis on that last part because it spells it out perfectly. 
our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. He is our master. If we want salvation, if we want the blessings of the Lord, if we have desired to come into a relationship with Christ and serve him first on an individual basis, obviously, when you first accept him, but then then you do it on a church level. You do it, you do it on a collective level. Why? Because that's what the scripture teaches. That's the natural progression that we go through things in this life. Spiritually natural possession, procession, I'll say. That we follow him along the footsteps of salvation. Right? That he must be our master and Lord. Now, we do not reside in a physical kingdom right now. We live in a world, whether you like Trump, I, there was half of America that said, he's not my president, right? And then same with our president right now, Joe Biden. He's not my president. Like it or not, he's your president. Both of them. I, don't, I get that we like to say those kinds of things, but that goes back to that of rebellious kind of vein that we have. And you could even say it. Listen, I'll say this and some half of you might spit, but our governor, same thing. Right. Like it or not, he is our governor. He's in a position of authority over us in this state. Like it or not. We because we can express our disgust and we can express ourselves in such a way that we could say that uh, the leadership that just because we can does not make it right, folks. OK, let me say it that way. We express ourselves and say He's not my president. He's not my governor. He's not my. We take that same approach with our God. Why? Because we think we can. And it ain't right. He is our master. At the end of the day, the illusion of making our own decisions, the illusion of being in control of our own destiny. There's, it's just an illusion of all those things. He is our master. Matter of fact, he's the master of all mankind, no matter what man says about it. No matter what man says about it, he is Lord and King. We get to serve him. We get to reside on the right side of how this stuff all shakes out. He's given us a blessed opportunity. But he must be our master. We must be able to say in our prayers, in our thoughts, and in our hearts that he is our master. You don't get salvation. You don't get all the blessings that go along with Jesus Christ without submitting to him as your master. You don't get both worlds. Christianity and loose, loose Christianity right now would have you to believe those kinds of things. A lot of people out there, they run around, get drunk, do all these different things and party and have multiple partners and all these different things that are going on out there. You got friends that are out there like that. They're not real Christians. I'm sorry. That's the truth. That type of lifestyle leads you away from serving God. Doesn't mean you can't witness to them. Doesn't mean you can't still love on them. That's not what I'm saying, okay? 
You understand what I'm saying? But the point is, is that there's this pervasive thought out there that you're like, we can do whatever. No, that's not how it works. He's your master. You're his steward. He has things that he needs you to do. He's called you to do things. He's called you. There's an expectation. My job is to share that with you and to warn you of these things. That's my job. I don't care really how it all gets done. I just want you to do it the way that God wants you to do it. And if you make the decision otherwise, that's your choice. I'll be there to help you pick it up on the back end too. I'm here regardless. Why? Because that's my job. That's what God's called me to be. That's the position that you all, as your pastor, have elected me to be for you. I help you regardless of your decisions. Until someone says, don't talk to me, <laughs> right? Get away. Okay, I, I, I can't really say nothing to that. I, okay, because that's what I've been entrusted with. That's my responsibility. That is also what I get held accountable for. As moms and dads and husbands and wives, there's a level of accountability and responsibility in the home, in the church. There's levels of responsibility and accountability. There's stewardship responsibilities that go along with all of this. Let the parables, let the examples just say what they say. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed or work, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him. To God the Father. And something interesting that takes place in these scriptures. It says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters. On earth, not with external service as those who are merely please men but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does, does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Really, you read this scripture, it says it doesn't matter what you are. Husband, wife, children, slave, free man, all these different things. Just do your, work, do your work as unto the Lord. That's who your real boss is. That's who our boss is. He is in charge. It's important for us to remember that because as it says in verse seven, do it all in the name of, the, uh, name of Jesus. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. That even applies here in this church. Your employer, same thing. Well, I don't want to do what the pastor says. 
it's not about doing what I say. You understand that? It's about doing what God says.